I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc. All one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today on An Actor Despairs, we have truly an actor that I've looked up to for so long, Chris Bauer. You know Chris Bauer from projects like The Wire, Season 2, True Blood, The Deuce, and Apple TV's recent endeavor for all mankind. Chris is one of my favorite actors, and I've looked up to him. The way he works is so magnetic, and he makes such amazing defined choices. I'm so grateful that he came on. Here it is. Chris Bauer, welcome to An Actor Despairs, brother. Man, you've been such a massive influence on me and watching you work throughout your life, you know, in, in The Wire, True Blood, For All Mankind, so many projects, too many to name. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it weren't for you. You know, what I saw you do with particularly Frank Zabaka, man, I th- that was like, I remember telling people, if I could ever just do one-tenth of that, that, that would be sufficient for me. Like, what a what a... Just, I mean, seismic, like, cat- like catastrophic in the best sense of the term. Performance, man. You're you're one of the best actors in the world, and like, it's so cool to watch you work. And I just was telling you, I had James Badgedale on, and we were singing your praises. And like, you and James and Shay Wiggum are so, like my three all time favorite actors, man. And like, you guys keep me inspired, and I wouldn't still be here if it weren't for you guys. So I'm I'm so grateful to you, man. Bless you, my brother. That is really that's a nice <laughs> intro. <laughs> yeah, man, I mean every word of it, man. I've looked up to you for so long. But uh, before we dig in, let's start at the beginning. You grew up in L.A.? Yeah, yeah. How- I was born in L.A. Um, my parents were from there. I think two out of my, maybe three out of my four grandparents were from there. So we're like old-fashioned L.A. Yeah. Um, which kind of means we had nothing to do with Hollywood. Love that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and my my dad was uh, from the wrong side of the tracks, and my mom was from the right side of the tracks. Her father, my grandfather, was a, um, a columnist. He had a column at the L.A. Times. He was a journalist. 
Oh, wow. Um, and uh, won a Pulitzer Prize, I think, sometime maybe in the 50s for uh, a series of um, articles about smuggling weed from Mexico into uh, into America. He was way <laughs> ahead of his time there. <laughs> Love that. Um, and um, grew up there. And uh, but right before junior high, I moved to Northern California because my, my dad got a job up there, which was like a real uh, curveball hmm. for our family because nobody nobody left um, nobody left L.A. And um, so I finished high school in Northern California and then kind of drifted back down south right away. And when you grew up in L.A., did you have the idea that this is the entertainment capital of the world and that was for you or not yet at all? I did not. I mean, I, you know, I. I knew. Um, no, I didn't. I mean, I, I was a huge TV watcher. Yeah. And but I think I watched TV like the same way people watched TV in Wyoming or Michigan or Florida, like what was happening in that box was taking place somewhere and it had nothing to do with me, nor would it ever. But if only it could, yeah, you know, totally. like <laughs> I was, I, I was talking to um, somebody recently and I went through all the things I wanted to be when I grew up and I was kind of born sort of different, sort of weird from the beginning and my aspirations were were uh, never to be like a doctor or uh, you know a lawyer. Yeah, I wanted to be a paramedic because there was this show on TV called Emergency that I love. <laughs> I love that. Then I wanted I wanted to be a cop because I was really into Adam Twelve, which was this old cop show. Wow. Then I wanted to be a truck driver because there was this show with Claude Aikens and Frank Converse called Moving On about yeah. truckers. Wow. So when I look back, all the things I wanted to be when I grew up really had to do with whatever my favorite TV show was at the time. Totally. <laughs> so you were kind of being an actor without knowing it, you know, that's what. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I backed my way into this because the, the sort of um, kind of curveball is that my mother, I'm the oldest of four. My mother was really young when she had me. She thought I was cute. And she got me an agent. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She started racking was... up the credits young. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm 53 right now, and I'd say I'm semi-clueless as a human being. Not at all, dude. <laughs> Bro, when I was three and a half, I was clueless. Like... <laughs> so my mom just took me by the hand one day, and she said, we're going to go into town. And we drove in, and I have vague memories. In fact, my optometrist now is in the office on wow. Sunset Boulevard that my first agent was in. So I have vague memories of going into that building and talking to this lady who, as I recall, had big giant glasses and she was smoking a cigarette and sort of evaluating me. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know, you know, it was, it was 1970. So there wasn't a huge, um, emphasis on explaining stuff to your kids. Yeah. You just kind of did. I mean, in my family, strict Irish Catholic family, and I was the oldest, you kind of just did what your parents told you to do, especially yeah. your mother. Totally. 
so lo and behold, I got an agent and this all, again, you know, this all started to kind of make more sense to me way after the fact. For example, I had been working for a while and they sent me my SAG card. And I looked at that little card they give us and it said member since 1970. Wow. Because I got my first commercial when I turned four. No, and that's like when they were still doing union commercials. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's like awesome. nine eras ago. Oh, my God, man. So then were you doing co-star guest star stuff as a kid as well or not really? Not really because I, 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 my heart was not in it. Like it was not my idea. Yeah. And it was weird. And I never really understood. You know, I had no ambition to do that. So – um, I, you know, I, 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 I didn't know the rules. I didn't know like the idea of talent or acting or having a creative experience, building something from your imagination just completely did not exist in the solar system of yeah. my life. It was like, it was more like, so I auditioned for a couple, like, the Brady Bunch and, you know, shit like no that. No way! That's amazing! <laughs> yeah. That's so rad, dude. Yeah. When, and yeah. do you, was there a moment in your in your teenage years or maybe early adulthood where it switched, where you're like, oh, this, this is it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if there was a moment, but by the time I finished high school, um, I played football. And, um, you know, I was one of those assholes who auditioned for the school play my senior year. Nice. And all the kids who had been doing drama from the beginning, you know, were like, who's this fucking guy who's going to come from the football team? <laughs> you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and I did a monologue from Caddyshack and I got cast in um, Our Town. No way. It's my favorite I, play. Dude. Okay. This is what, an, how much of an idiot I am. I did that play. It was 1984. I read that play 10 times between now and then. I've seen it two or three in different forms. And it literally wasn't until the last time that I got it, where it blew my mind, you know, the depth and the soul and the awareness and the poetry of that play and the compassion for humanity. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it blew my mind, but I didn't get that. I didn't get that for the longest time. I mean, my brain is so strange sometimes um, on that level. Totally. And then I'm, I'm curious then there, there must've been like a real, uh, you know, alliance with that because it, you went to Yale and, and going to grad school is no shortage of like commitment. So talk, can you talk a bit about that? How that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to try to, I mean, I've, I've told this story before, but I'm going to try to be more honest and I'm going to try to be more simple. So I got recruited to play football. That's how I got into college. Yeah. I had no intention of playing because I was super lazy and I kind of wanted to be an actor, but like most of us, I, the, the louder voice was like, yeah, but, that's not going to really it's, happen. It's never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We all have that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what it was like, again, like even more people just back then, I really wanted to be famous. Yeah. Like there was a part of no, me that totally. really felt like it was meant to be. 
Every honest actor can admit to that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I went down and I went to school for a couple of years at, uh, in San Diego, University of San Diego and flailed. At their acting program or? No, they didn't have one yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like they, the thing they have now with the old globe, they didn't have that. Wow. In fact, all you could do was get a minor in theater and there was one lady who taught every theater class. There was like five, five classes at the most. It was just nothing. It was a non-program, but they did a play, you know, like just like high school kind of, they did a play in the fall and a musical in the spring. So um, I auditioned for the musical in the spring. Only musical I've ever done. Pajama game. I played the boss. I forget his name, but he's the only guy who didn't sing. <laughs> That's how I got but it. I, <laughs> yeah. But I got it and loved it. And it was the second play I'd ever been in. And pretty soon I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. But yeah. Um, but just, it was such an impossibility. And I was so out of touch with myself in a genuine way that even you know, thinking, well, I'm going to go for it. You know, um, I couldn't go there. Dude, I never took anything seriously. I was really into punk rock. It was a very subversive. I was a big surfer. I wanted to, I surfed every day, you know, partied like a pro. Um, and eventually dropped out because, uh, I never went to, I never went to class. Yeah. So when I dropped out, that was after two years. Fuck, man, I'm already making it longer than it needs to be. No, 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 no. It's beautiful. (laughs) I love it. I moved home like all dropouts do. And I was there for about a month and I was like, this is not a good long term. Home being Northern California. Yeah. My parents lived up there and I saw an ad, uh, I think like in the San Francisco Chronicle for a place called the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Oh yeah. In in LA. So I dropped out in December. They had a session starting in January. I flew down. I, I, I flew down to Burbank. A friend of mine from childhood picked me up, drove me over there, did a monologue for some guy who no shit fell asleep. I mean, it was like a 90 second monologue. He fell asleep halfway through. Um, and it was just like, it was like, you know, the first of an ongoing series of unbelievably awkward encounters with reality that totally. I had in my career. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and he kind of opened his eyes at the end and he was like, <clears throat> I think you'd be a great fit here. Um, that'll be $750 or whatever it was, you know? <laughs> and, and I went. That's when it all started because um, I was living at my uncle's house. I was taking classes five days a week um, and I was a wreck. Like at some level, I knew what a fuck up I was and how um, I had cultivated no inner strength, no autonomy, no point of view. I had one. I just didn't know how to access it. Yeah. And um and this was preceded by um 
the summer between the, the, the summer before this, I went to La Jolla Playhouse to be an apprentice. Wow. But I did that because I thought that's a way I could stay living at the beach and my, my parents will pay for these classes and I can just stay at the beach. I never did it like because, um, you know, I was following my dreams. It was completely the opposite. But 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 I also took some classes there that summer and I got cast as an extra in a play, which is like a whole lower level of background work than I thought existed. <laughs> I didn't even know they did that. <laughs> I didn't either. But yeah. Dude, by the end of that show, you would have thought that I just did Grapes of Wrath on Broadway for a year. Like I was like, I was in a play at La Jolla Playhouse and it's all about theater and I love it. And I completely caught the bug. Yeah. Um, so that kind of propelled me into this school. And um, for two years, I went to that school and I had these epic teachers from the old school, sort of Stanislavski based. That school being the, AMDA or Yale? Uh, American Academy of Dramatic. Oh, uh, yeah, I love AMDA. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all the sense memory stuff, all the actor studio stuff. Um, and I immersed myself. I just, I just, I wore that shit like clothes. Yeah. And pretty soon I realized I needed to train like at a really high level if I was going to ever know what I was doing. Yeah. So I started to audition for those places, ACT, Juilliard. Um, NYU. NYU. Yeah. I did. I never even considered Yale because I was a, 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 a college dropout. Yeah. And this kind of loops back to the LA thing. It's like in my family, in my gene pool, the idea of the Ivy league is sort of like, like whatever you do, don't go there. Yeah. Cause, cause, cause like it just wasn't for us. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, so I never even considered it. So for two years, I auditioned for these places. I did not know how to audition. I didn't know how to act yet. And, and I, um, and I didn't get past the first, thing you know it was all thank you very much for, um, for the first two years yeah 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 and um i was just about to give up and still living in my parents house and immersing myself more and more in anything to do with theater anything to do any writer any movie any actor like i'd go see plays yeah i'd hang out afterwards to talk to try to talk to someone who had to do with the play like i just became a full acolyte yeah to the form and you know it, it didn't turn into anything but that was my path one step at a time i started to cultivate this connection to the impulse to create and worship that instead of my feelings you know, and um, lo and behold, it led me to this situation where I was auditioning for um, it was either like a little play, non-union play in San Francisco, or maybe like a school in in uh, England, like where you could go for a month yeah. type deal. All I know is I did my audition and I was leaving and there was another guy in the room. I auditioned for one guy and there was this other guy just watching. And as I was leaving, he came up to me. His name was David Chambers. And he said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah. He said, you're interesting. And I said, 
I've always thought so, but nobody else. <laughs> nobody else. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> nobody else does, you know. Yeah. He's like, no, I don't know what it is, but um, are you are you interested in training more? And I said, yeah. I went to this school, you know, for the last two years, but I feel like I, there's a lot more to learn. And he said, well, I'm uh, on the faculty at the Yale School of Drama. No way. Would you consider going there? Wow. And I, and I was like, uh, I dropped out of college. And he goes, that's fine. We take that. I mean, you don't have to have an undergrad degree. Yeah. And I said, whoa, okay. And he said, if I send you an application, will you fill it out? I said, of course which was a 50-50 prospect, whether I would or not, I have to say. Totally. Um, anyway, he sent me the application. I filled it out probably in pencil. And two weeks later, I got a letter saying you, you were, you're admitted to the Yale School of Drama. Wow. It, was this in Ron Van Loo's reign or before? Earl Gister. Ah, got it. Got it. That's yeah. amazing. And then what was it like? Because that's a th- three-year program, right? Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Was that some of the best times in your life? Or? You know, some days it feels like that. Um, but I was really young. I was 22. Um, and most of the, at that time, I don't know what it's like now, but they used to take 10 men and six women every year. It ain't like that anymore. <laughs> I can tell you that first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those, those numbers have changed for yeah. sure. But, um, they tried to build like a little ensemble. Yeah. And um, most of the other actors, I'd say the average age was closer to 30. Yeah. You know, there were some people older. Liev Schreiber and I were the two youngest in our class. Oh, you were with Liev. Um, nice. Yeah. And um, so I really felt like I was in over my head. I'd never been to the East Coast. I'd never been on an Ivy League campus um, have you done classical work at AMDA or was that your first time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I played Toby Belch in Twelfth Night and a couple things like that. We did some Shakespeare. I was, I'd seen a lot of Shakespeare, you know, I understood scansion and iambic pentameter and all that stuff, but by no means was I intellectually lucid enough yeah. to participate in theater with a, and with any kind of um, conceptual approach, yeah, you know, and um, I remember over the summer there, you know, there, before you get here, read every play by Chekhov, read every play by Ibsen, um, half of Beckett, um, all this stuff that I had never read or seen. And I did it, you know, but I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I didn't yeah. know. You know, I was still sort of stuck kind of in that place of like trying to be funny and subversive like Brando and crazy and emotional like um, James Dean and East of Eden. Yeah. You know, like everything was this massive cathartic transmission of depth. Yeah. And um, so it was hairy. Like the first year, I, I kind of wanted to quit every two weeks, you know, but that was because I was scared. Yeah, totally. Makes you know? total sense. And were you, were years, you and Liev buddies? Like, was that your homie during oh, that yeah. time? Oh, awesome. Yeah. 
which is ironic because then you end up working with his brother on the wire. Oh my God. (laughs) There's so many amazing, um, cross pollinated, you know, biographical, uh, creatively sort of, uh, relative synchronicity themes in my career, in my life. And here's why that is because I'm not out for a career. I'm not out for status. I'm trying to open up all the time and make more and more room for the one thing that's always been true in my life, which is the authentic impulse to create something one moment at a time. Totally. And what I learned about that impulse really early on was it never tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. (laughs) It never tells you like, you know, when you're wrong, (laughs) including that for sure. It's like, it's almost like it says, okay. Sometimes it feels like you're standing on a hundred foot high pole. Yeah. It's as wide as your feet. And you have the thought, how do I get down? And your impulse says, well, you move your foot off the pole. Yeah. And you look and you're like, but there's nothing there. And your impulse goes, well, you just move your foot off the pole and you have to do that. Yeah. And, and it works. Like you hit something, you, it's just, you move, it moves you to the next right place. And it's very mystical, man. For me, it's very, um, that's why I don't like do things like this very often because Sorry, I'm sorry. You know, it's funny. You were the first person I ever asked, and I'm so glad we finally made it happen. <laughs> well, that's because you're you. I could just tell that you're I, like I relate. I relate yeah. to to whatever your source of joy is on your own terms. It overlaps with mine. I can tell. Yeah. Um, we just love the work, it. man. You know, that's that's what we do as artists. We inspire each other. And 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 speaking of inspiring, like. The thing that I love so much about your body of work is like you make such great choices and you have a voice for every character. And one of the reoccurring themes I talk about on this podcast or two of them is the difference between good acting and great acting. And you're one of the best actors in the world because you make such nuanced and defined and grounded choices. And like, you know, when you go to a movie, like I don't see Chris Bauer. I see Frank Sabatka. Or I see Derek from For All Mankind, you know, and that that's such a like 0.01% of actors are able to achieve that. And I'm curious, at Yale, do you feel like you found your voice or did that just come as you worked? Um, first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, oh, I mean, every word. Um, no, I didn't find it for a long time. I mean, Yale turned into a kind of a... Um, What's that race? Tough Mudder? Is that what it's called? Yeah, like yeah, 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 totally, <laughs> totally. Yale was sort of like that. It was like, I'm going to get to the end of this. And the great thing about that place was good teachers, um, incredible, uh, incredibly inspiring peers. But you're in front of an audience 30, 40 times before you graduate. And it's the audience, in my experience, that is the ultimate professor. Totally. Like they, the audience, when they come together, they don't fuck around. They're either focused and listening. They're either going 
on the journey with you or they're not. And um, so at the laboratory to kind of explore, well, what are the, how do I manage my energy in a way that seems to cultivate um, the focus and support of the audience? How do I manage my energy in a way that seems to dilute their um, a kind of coherent transmission of what I'm trying to do? And, you know, you can do that for years. Um, by no means did I learn everything there was to learn on that level, but I learned a lot. Meanwhile, the nature of the school is you're all sort of in this slingshot that's being pulled tighter and tighter. Eventually, they're going to let go. Yeah. You're going to catapult your way into business. Totally. So there's a sense of competition. There's yeah. a sense of like, fuck that guy. You know? I was talking to Glenn <laughs> Fleshler about this, man. Like, really? I, I'm, I'm so curious, you know, like Glenn was telling me when he did his showcase, he didn't get signed. And it was like another five years before he got rep. Was it, was that showcase? Cause I know it's like, sorry to be crass. It's like a dick swinging contest. When you yeah. were there, did you feel safe and did you, feel good about your work or was it just such a con like a talent show at that showcase? Cause I know the pressure well, days are so intense. Yeah. It's just, it's very hard for people to be realistic. Yeah. You know, it's very hard because realistic, you're just scared shit. Realistically, you're scared shitless and you're like, am I going to be the one that nobody likes? Yeah. You know, cause you can get a lot of juice. You can get a good year, two years out of, Hey man, I got into Yale. Yeah, of course. <laughs> then eventually it's like you turn the corner. It's like, oh, the, the agents and the executives are over there. And now they're going to decide whether or not it matters if I got into the end. Totally. You know? And here's what they did in my case. They didn't notice me. Wow. They just didn't bite. I'm so stoked to hear that about Glenn because I think he's, so incredible. Yeah. You know? hey, he's also one of my favorites. I left him off the list. He's a great guy too. So cool. You know, but yeah, I've never, I've never met him, but I, I oh, love dude, well, well, I have to go out in New York. <clears throat> yeah. Finally. Love that. So, love that. So then um, so did you get rep at the showcase or no? no? Wow. No, nothing. I'll never forget standing in line. They hand us these manila envelopes that are filled with each, you know, each person who wants to meet you fills out a piece of paper and with a, appointment time or something like oh that. Oh my God. And you're kind of looking over the shoulder of the person in front of you and they're just getting these envelopes that are like, Oh wow. Thanks. You know, like there's like yeah. 30, 40, 50 pieces of paper in these envelopes. They handed mine and it was like a prop. It was like, Oh my <laughs> God. It was like maybe one piece of paper. And I don't remember much about it, but I walked away from there thinking, Dude, and let me tell you something, looking back, I celebrate this memory. I treasure this memory because I felt the lightness of that um, envelope. And I felt that moment swelling with dread that I'm the guy, you know, who did great work for three years and blah, 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 and da, da, da. And so fucking what? Nobody wants to meet you. Yeah. And, and the, the mix of, of, of terror and anxiety and shame. And then the undercurrent, which is where everything comes from. We're going to circle back to what you said about my choices. 
the undercurrent, which is like, yeah, so yeah. big fucking deal. Uh, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Totally. We're on on to the next phase of growth. On to the next stage. Like, you want to be an actor? You want to touch the souls of strangers? Yeah. I'm not going to let you do that yet. It's like the muses saying, "Then quit." Yeah. If that's what it's about, quit because you shouldn't be allowed to open your heart in front of strangers whose hearts are already open by showing up. If you can't handle this, you're going to have to handle a lot more than this. And, um, and I gutted it out for a year. I got my first law and order. I did, I had five lines with Paul Sorvino and no way. Were were, were you doing like actors, uh, connection or one-on-one or any of those? No, but, I think somebody, I think there was like a manager who I'd never heard of who was like, I'll try you out. I'll try you out. And he got me an audition, you know, for, for these five lines and I got it. No way. But I ran out of that money and I ran out of the money I had saved and I had no skills and I was working security at an auction house and then I was catering and, you know, it was gnarly. And I was like, you know what? I'm not sure what I learned at Yale, but it wasn't the right thing. I got to start over. Wow. And I moved. I did a geographical. It's the only time in my life that I've done it. And thank God, because usually they don't work. But in this case, it did. I had, I had visited Chicago the, the month after I graduated from uh, American Academy of Dramatic Arts, because yeah. I had heard so much about their theater scene. Yeah. Good men, so, second stage, all the good stuff. Yeah. Second step and walk. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I flew there and I watched plays for a week and I loved it. I thought it was, I'd never been, you know, I mean, other than New Haven, Connecticut and New York, when I was going to Yale, those are the only places that I'd ever been probably East of, uh, Phoenix. Yeah. Um, so after a year in New York, I just was like, I got moving and I went to Chicago and I started over just straight up, delete the files. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You're imbalanced. They can't see you because there's nothing to see. Yeah. You're not showing who you are is not, is not a factor in your work. Yeah. Because at Yale, you know, because you kind of learn how to try to stand out in a way. Yeah. You know, like, which is just the worst. It's like, you know, how can you be in a scene with another character? If psychically what you're really trying to do is hopscotch that character and that actor into the laps of the audience and remind them how special and great you are. Yeah. which is what a lot, a lot of actors are doing all the fucking time. It's like, look at me, look at me, look how interesting I am. Look at, yeah. you know, drives me crazy. Um, so yeah, I went to Chicago and I completely started over. And the way I did that was, uh, I don't know, got lucky. I just had the idea that I had to, I mean, that was 1993. And that was when I first started to, be taught by my own exhale Mm -hmm. 
the letting go, the energy of letting go and emptying and the sensation of that, that had to be home base so that anything that came back in was fresh wow. and new and real. And, you know, I got to play at the Goodman pretty quickly. Amazing. And then I got to play at Steppenwolf. Wow. And, um, and then while I was there, I got an agent in Chicago. And after I did my second play at Steppenwolf, I made way back in the day, you probably came along after this, but you know, we used to make these videotapes. Oh yeah. You'd go on, go on tape. Yeah. (laughs) Going on tape then was like a big ass video camera. Yeah. Nuclear bomb. (laughs) Yeah. And I made one of those and had moved back to, so I did as I lay dying, Frank Galati adapted the Faulkner book. That was at Steppenwolf. We closed the next day. I moved back to New York, but a few days before that I had made this tape. So I was in New York for a few days and I called my, uh, voicemail or whatever it was. Yeah. And and this agent was like, Hey, you got that movie. You got that movie that you made a tape for. No way. Yeah. Um, that was a great day. That was a great day because I just thought and I still think anytime I do a film or anytime they point a camera at me, I'm like, this isn't right. Yeah. You know what totally. I mean? Like I'm I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be like maybe on the radio. <laughs> not at all dude you're the best <laughs> <laughs> you know um so i got that movie and it was a, a horror version of snow white with sigourney weaver we shot in prague never been to europe six weeks later i came back with a couple of bucks i thought i was loaded for life and i came back to new york and i completely started over and i got a manager and then i started to meet all the agents that were at that showcase two years yeah. before, but now I was Chris Bauer from Chicago. I was not Chris Bauer from the Yale School of Drama. Wow. And I, and it was so wild, dude. It was just, I, and I was kind of different. I mean, I had to, I had to go through some stuff and I had to let go of some things very painful and, um, grow up a little bit, I guess. But, and that's kind of when it all started well, work-wise. So beautiful that you were able to buoy yourself and not get deflated because I think a lot of people could have come out of that. Like same with Glenn and been like, well, fuck this bullshit. This industry is rigged. Do you know what I mean? And, and you yeah. kept it going and you manifested it. That's amazing, man. Well, you have to be able to, you have to go through that whole list that the industry's rigged, that they don't care about your desire, that the best man is not going to get the job you got to go down that whole list yeah and check off every box until you can check the very last one which is so what yeah and when you can check that so what box it means there's basically one thing you can do with your life you know which is what i do and uh the choice is made for you like you know who's going to talk you out of it's like for me, it's like uh, somebody saying you can't breathe. Yeah. And I'll be like, yeah, but it's the only, I mean, I kind of can't help it. Yeah. Totally. So, you know. And and when you got back to New York, you, I, you said you did Law & Order. Were you doing a lot of plays or were you mainly doing TV then? I was kind of doing a mix. When I came back, um, 
I just sort of jumped in and like whatever, whatever the next thing that came along was, you know, I did like the first year I was back, I guest starred uh, on New York undercover. JK Simmons and I played road cop partners. That's amazing. Barry. <laughs> this is before Oz. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then I did a, uh, I mean, we're going back a little ways now, but you know, it was kind of like the plane was like gathering speed yeah, and cruising down the runway and just starting to lift off. And, and, um, that's just as boring as it actually is. Like every time I work, I have no idea what's going to happen. I never expect anybody to have any idea who I am. Um, I do not, you know, meanwhile, dude, there's so many capillaries, like my wife. Now we weren't married then, but she was a member of Atlantic theater company. Wow. So when we first moved back, she's a costume designer. So she would do, she'd do a play. I'd go hang out, you know, meet her after rehearsal, whatever, got to know people at Atlantic. Within a year of that, uh, somebody was doing a show at Atlantic and then they got a pilot and they, it was Pinter, it was the hot house. Oh, wow. And the person had to leave. They didn't know what they were going to do. And Neil Pepe, who's become one of my dear friends, you know, was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was like, give me the play. I'll learn it in a day. And oh my God. And you did. I learned, I learned it maybe in two days. Yeah. And went in, just went right into performance and did that show for a week. And that happened a couple of times. And eventually they invited me into that company. And it was through them that I did three plays with Jez Butterworth. I did Mojo, uh, Night Heron and Parlor Song. Wow. Um, Mammoth. I ended up doing a bunch of work with Mammoth yeah. because of my, um, you know, my, my experience at Atlantic and it all grows like a tree. Like all I'm ever thinking about is what is the most simple and authentic way through this moment. Yeah. And I think about it on a creative level. I think about it on a family level. I think about it on a spiritual level, on a physical level. And what's so wild about asking oneself that question is for me, there's always a very loud voice that says, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the most authentic way. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Let's just see what happens. I'm just going to meet it. Yeah. And aesthetically, I started to intuit that everything that I bring to the work that's fucking bullshit that's vain, that's insecure, that's fake, is a sort of scandal. It's like, it's diminishing how elegant, poetic, and perfect we are as human beings one moment at a time, spinning around the globe, lost. Yeah. And, um, 
I think my process is just that it's, 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 it's not a, it's not a proactive process. It's more about removing things that are, um, that are just, uh, ways to hide. I don't hide. Yeah. Or I try not to, I mean, I still do, I'm sure, but I really try not to hide. So circling back to what you said about Yale, I was doing parlor song, this play that jazz wrote. 2008 it was me emily mortimer and jonathan cake two other great actors uh, i love emily and i don't know have you have you seen any of, or read any of jez's plays yeah back when i was at nyu but it's been a minute but i mean the ferryman he just yes. had on broadway i saw, I saw it year. yeah with with patty yeah 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 jerusalem before that i mean yeah. he's one of the greatest writers in the world yeah and um a great uh writes great films also but um we were halfway through that run of parlor song and I'll never forget. I was on stage in a scene with Emily. I think we were actually, we were in previews, early previews. And I heard this voice in my ear say, this can never be about you ever again. Wow. None of your work comes from you. Yeah. It only comes through you and it's, and the good news is dude, I'm having this experience while I'm in a scene with her on stage. I'm thinking this thought. Yeah. The good news is you never have to worry again about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Yeah. The bad news is there's going to be no glory ever again in your work, there's going to be no grandiose quality to the experience because all you're going to be doing is getting there on time, opening up and let it come through. And you're not going to be able to claim any responsibility for, <laughs> for what you do. That's amazing, man. I love and that's, it. it's true. I don't make choices. And I, and it sounds like such a lame ass actor thing to say. I don't make choices. I analyze text. And I answer the questions, you know, of who this, what's the note in the symphony that this character needs to play. Yeah. But then it's just opening up, turning off the brain and you get puppeted. You just, you just become animated according to some other thing. Um, like, I mean, like, I can't remember the last time I had the thought, like, what would be a really interesting way through this scene? Yeah. Or like any of that sort of strategizing. I just haven't done it for, for years. Totally. It's just, it's just, you do something, you stay in a fertile state. They say action. It happens. They say cut. It's over. And it's like, making a sandwich. Wow. It's really well put. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it is, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious then, like, because you say that about like flowing of a scene, like Frank Sabodka, I think is my favorite all time television character. You know what I mean? Like I just relate to him so much, even though I'm only 30, I'm like so curious, you know, so, I'm, I'm friends with Tom Fontana and I know they collaborated and he kind of helped him. And The Wire is like one of those shows that, that caught on much later. When that got brought your way, talk to me about that. 
Because did you go up for McNulty? I did. Yeah, I auditioned for McNulty when they were when they were casting that pilot, and um, I think that happened because the summer before that, I shot this movie Sixty One for HBO. Oh man, Yankees! Barry, love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, ooh, yeah, incredible summer. Yeah, you know. Um, and Bob Colesbury, who produced that, also um, produced The Wire, and he's he's passed away, and he was one of the greats. So good. Yeah, they, they pay tribute to him in the show, don't they? I remember that. Yeah. 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 Incredible man. Like just an incredible ally to the artist. Yeah. Um, and there aren't a lot of producers like that. Um, anyway, I think Bob just liked me from 61 and he said, take look at this guy. Cause I think that they're, I mean, I don't know, but I think that their concept for McNulty was a little more, broad at the beginning like that he was a little bit more of a uh kind of work kind of blue collar yeah sort of uh appearance which i think dominic dominic pulls off but i just think that you know at first they were like let's find a scrub yeah got it um so i had auditioned for that obviously didn't get it um and then the second season rolled around I was on this show on NBC at the time called Third Watch, which was just like an old cop paramedic show. I remember that show. Yeah. That was my first TV regular character job. Yeah. Um, and then I got a call out of the blue and said, they want to offer you this role in the second season of The Wire. And um, Oh, it's just, an offer. That's amazing. Yeah, it was an offer. Wow. And um, I just assumed that I couldn't do it because I was on this other show and my wife, who's just got like the, you know, like just the subtlest strain of lady Macbeth and her DNA. She's like, yeah. you're doing it and we're going to figure out how you're going to do it. And, you know, wow. and literally, and I'm like, I can't, man, I'm already on a show. And she's like, don't be an asshole. We'll figure this out. Yeah. Um, and you know, that really came down to me going to the showrunner of Third Watch at the time and saying, hey, I got this other offer. Is there any way we could work it out? It's in Baltimore. And and he was not, he was sort of offended by the request and he had his own feelings about it. But, you know, blessed him. He said, yes. What, <laughs> you know? Yeah, what a bro. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. He let me do it. Um, and and that all took a while. So you said you're thir- you're 30, right? You're 30? I just turned 30, yeah. You just turned 30. I think yeah. I had just turned 30. When I was I was 35. Wow. Let's talk about Frank Sabaka for a second. I was fucking yeah. 35 <laughs> years old. So Yeah, he's got like a 25-year-old son that he had at 10, you know what I mean? Like uh... So I got that like ripped. And I was like, how hungover was I was I the day that I went and auditioned for McNulty? Like, what kind of impression did I make? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, um, and at the time, I used to go up and down and wait like crazy back then. And God knows. Anyway, I opened the script and, you know, I've got a 20-something-year-old son and I'm running this union. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to get fired. And... Uh, we closed the deal. I went down to do it. And right away I went to the, uh, uh, costume designer 
put on some clothes that were a little more Frank-like, stuffed some shit in my shirt so I looked a little bigger, went over the hair. Um, They pulled out the the it factor on the sides and kind of, and I just started, oh, and I I got these shoes that were too small. It kind of made me sort of walk like my knees hurt a little bit more. And, and none of this is because I have some delusion of De Niro style transformation. It's all coming from, I don't want to get fired. Yeah. And so I kind of just like made a disguise for myself that made me believe that I could be this guy. Yeah. And, um, and that's how that character started. And here's the deal. When you have writing as immaculate as that, yeah. you just got to get out of the way. Yeah. Get out of the way. I mean, one of the instincts that it would be great if you could figure out how to teach, and I think you can, is when, as an actor, when you, if you see kind of the script as a sheer cliff, and you're trying to climb it and you have to link those things, those little clips into the rope to keep getting higher. And it's life or death. You have to be able to put your whole weight on it. Yeah. That's how you have to look at text. Wow. So that's how you have to look at the interior of scenes, the interior yeah. of lines. And you have to be so allegiant to it and so loyal to it. Other guys are very successful at saying, hey, can I say this instead of this? Yeah. I think my guy would be more like this. I'm not like that. Yeah. I I have to just remove whatever barrier exists in me that's making it hard to understand how that person talks or whatever. I have to go to the character. And then once you get there, you're linked in. And it's like you're getting, it's like you're water skiing. Yeah. You're just getting pulled behind. And Sabaka was like, that guy. And I and I do think of characters as real people. I really do. I think oh, for just, sure. They're just uh they're just souls that don't have a body and we just get to be their body for a while. Yeah. He just yanked me through that with I didn't have any choice. Every single scene played itself. And if I did anything, I didn't back away from how transparent he was in wanting to get his way. Yeah, totally. I mean, and the care that he has for his nephew and his son, you know, like there's such an immense, like the chemistry you guys had on that is incredible. You know, I totally buy that unit, you know, we did have good chemistry. That was real. That was and that real. Toyota commercial like two years ago was the best thing ever. I love that some <laughs> advertising executive was like, I got an idea. <laughs> well, I don't know if anybody knows this, but, and I'm pretty sure this is true, but I'm not sure they knew what they had. I just want to put it that way. When, when that commercial got put together because the director of that commercial was a really good friend of mine. Yeah. And he's an incredible, um, he's an incredible director, but he's an incredible DP. Um, he shot lost in translation. He shot Buffalo 66. Wow. He shot, um, uh, where the wild things are. Um, 
what's the other one? Adaptation. Oh yeah, 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 totally. Um, and, and he had the concept for the commercial. And I think both of us kind of at the same time were like, wouldn't it be great if we got, cause like PJ, James Ransom, who played my son, Ziggy. Yeah, totally. Like family. Yeah. Like family to me. And, and I had introduced them before. Um, Pablo, same thing, like family. And, and I think it was Matthew us, Marr in there as well, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love Matthew. Yeah. Who's become a great friend, but I didn't know him before that. Yeah. He's a genius. He's yeah, a he's genius. great. I saw him do uh, Othello with Daniel Craig. He was so good as Rodrigo. I bet. I oh, have seen that. Um, anyway, we were like, what if it was us in the car? And whatever happens, happens. And we all, I called those guys and I was like, would you, what do you think of this? Would you consider doing this? And, and, um, and it came together and I just don't know if the ad agency or Toyota ever knew beforehand. <laughs> of the extreme amazing references that they had and they were pulling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that yeah. thing went viral on YouTube. Everyone was like, Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. It was wow. amazing. I mean, like, we actually did them a huge favor, if you ask me. hundred um, percent. Um, but yeah, it was super fun. Super That's fun. Amazing. So, so the chemistry that we had was real, and Pablo and I clicked because he knew Liev and I were close, and um, and that was when I look back at some of those scenes, those guys let me be whatever I needed to be like they gave me and that's that's something that like I do and and I think that uh all great actors should do and and usually do which is like you want the other guy in the scene to win yeah you want to give it's all you want to give it to the other guy yeah um because it's a reciprocal thing. And if you're doing that for that person, they're doing it for you. And that just opens up uh, so much dimension to yeah. the scene. But like, when I look back at some of those and like, I was watching one uh, a while ago that I'd completely forgotten about when Ziggy steals the cameras and he comes up to me, he's like, Hey pops. And I just smack him. on. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. I love that episode. <laughs> oh, it's, Oh my God. Oh. I mean, it's pretty nice when an actor is letting you. Yeah. <laughs> smack them on like that. I called PJ and I was like, dude, thank you so much for letting me push you around like that. That was very kind, you know? That's amazing, man. It really yeah. showed. And I mean, obviously you and Simon must have built up immense rapport because you did the deuce, you know, and like you guys worked together. And, but before we get to the deuce, like what was it like going like stylistically to something totally different, like true blood? You know, like, was that, uh, was that a fun time, you know? Cause like, it's such a different show, you know, and the audience yeah. for that is so different. Yeah, it was fun. It was, uh, and actually David Simon factors in there because I was negotiating to do Generation Kill and that was going to be, did you ever see that, that he did? Oh yeah. Generation Kill? yeah. Yeah. James was telling me he was up for it. My buddy, Tommy Pelfrey and my boy, Mark Menchaca did it. Oh yeah, dude, that guy. Oh, that guy. Where the fuck? I, 
that guy is so good. Oh, dude, he's he's the nicest guy too. We'll hang out with him, man. He's a brother. Been such I a good never guy, saw man. him before uh, Ozark, and then um, after The Outsider, I was just like, "All right, I'm going back to college." Yeah, I like, know, I right? That. <laughs> I uh, like, I'm going to go back. The first film he directed, he wrote and directed. Um, I can't remember. I'm blanking on the name, but it's amazing and it's so personal piece. It's beautiful. Him and Frankie Shaw. But uh, I'm embarrassed that I'm, I'm lapsing on the name, but he's the best. But back to you. So Simon factored into True Blood. Yeah. So I was negotiating to do Generation Kill, which was going to be eight months in Africa. And yeah. my kids at the time were seven and five. And my wife, being the kind of circus folk that she is, she was like, you got to go. You got to go do that. That seems like an amazing project. And, and then, cause she's so supportive and she so gets actors, but then we got into negotiating and I got cold feet because I thought, uh, I can't go to Africa for eight months right now and leave yeah. you with the kids. Um, I want to, <laughs> but that doesn't feel right. Totally. You know, which was the beginnings of this conscience that kind of grew louder and louder and eventually took over my life. Yeah. It is becoming a parent. Yeah, totally. Um, but right around then, um, my manager called and said, Alan Ball wants to have coffee with you. He's got a pilot called true blood. And I was like, well, what about generation kill? She was like, well, Alan's a great writer. You should go meet him. And I didn't know Alan. We went and met, somewhere uh, downtown, had a cup of coffee. I read the script. My part had one scene. Um, but my wife read the script and she was like, you got to do this. You got to wow. do this. And I was like, why? And she was like, this is going to be big. And I was like, who gives a shit about vampires? Yeah. And werewolves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And fairies and shit. Yeah. <laughs> So, but I went and, but, you know, and then I'm thinking, well, wow, you know, it'd be better to do this in LA than it would, you know. To be 8,000 miles away. Yeah. Yeah. Al and I had coffee. We finished a cup of coffee and he goes, I really want you to do the show. So part's yours if you want. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing, man. And you got like seven, seven, six years out of that, right? Seven. Wow, what a ride, man. I love Ryan Quantin, man. He's he's cool dude. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. Dude, everybody man. on that show, I mean, I'm gonna say ninety-nine percent of the people on that show were just all on the same page. Like, let's have fun. Let's not take this too seriously. Yeah. But let's be as good as we can be. Totally. And um we all made a lot of money, got a lot of um support from crazy fans all over oh, the world. Sure. Got people you know? with tattoos of you on them. <laughs> but that was another big turning point work-wise because after the second season, I could tell that unless you had a six pack, you weren't going to be on the billboard. Yeah. And if you're not on the billboard, you're not going to get a lot of love from the network. And, you know, I had done the wire there. I had, did this movie called Betty Page that was through HBO Films. 61 was through HBO. I'd done so much stuff at HBO. And I kind of felt like, do they know, do they even know that I work here? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, it was the second season. I had a feeling that, oh, here's a weird story that I don't know yeah. if I've ever told anybody. Get this. Yeah. Especially because I think Pablo ended up on this show. Right at the beginning of the second season, Clark Johnson called me. You know who Clark is? Yeah. He directed the pilot of The Wire. Yeah. And he's an actor. He's an amazing director, but a great actor, too. And he said, I'm going to do a pilot for FX, and I think you got to play this part. And what's your situation? And, you know, I was on True Blood. I said, well, I'm on True Blood. And he yeah. said, uh-huh. well, can you get out, do you think? And I was like, well, I don't know. He was like, so we met. And it was the pilot for Lights Out. Wow. And Holt played that part eventually, I believe. Um, but wasn't Pablo on that? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. 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 So I, he gives me the script. I read it. It's this boxer that everybody wants to fuck. He's like in killer shape. Second season... I quit drinking after the pilot of uh, True Blood. Wow. So second season, I had just a year of eating burrito, just eating instead of drinking. <laughs> I was massive. <laughs> just, you know. Yeah. And I'm reading this script about this boxer, you know, and I was like, oh, man, I do have to do this. Yeah. I do have to do this. So I went to Alan and I said, can I talk to you for a second? And he goes, He's so he's he's become a really good friend of mine, special person and yeah. so smart. And all I said was, "Can I talk to you for a second? And he said, "Do you want to know what's going to happen to your character for the rest of the show?" And I go, "Yeah." And he told me the arc of everything. And by the time he was done, I never brought up lights out. I called Clark and I said, "I'm going to stay on True Blood." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I respect the hell out of that, man. That's amazing. That's so beautiful, though. But I also could feel my ego going, dude, all you're going to do is like, you know, spill ketchup on your tie and like get frustrated and trip on the way into the room for the next five years. Yeah. And my my ego was like saying, you got to quit. They don't take you seriously. You're a good actor. You know, anybody could do this. And then again, that deeper place whispered from way down in there. Hey, asshole, can you trip on the way into the room better than anybody ever has? Can you get angry and frustrated better than anybody has? Yeah. No. Then shut the fuck up and keep taking swings and grow and get better. You're not the best actor in the world. You're a yeah. schmuck and you got to learn and grow. And, and, and it's not about whether you're on the billboard. It's not about whether or not HBO thinks you you're matter. the sex symbol or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, it was like I died and came back to life. Wow. And so I, it- I've been, that's just where I've been since that was probably 2010. So for 10 years, I've just been in that mindset of like, how do I get better? Yeah. 
And was that cool to go back with Simon and do the deuce and get three years, you and Franco like that. Yeah. Uh, and so many of the wire characters are actors as well, you know? Yeah. Like, and was George, that, you know, yeah. George, yeah. George Pelicanos wrote two of the best scripts that I had in the second season of the wire. George wrote, um, and George was, you know, the co-creator of the deuce with, with David. Yeah. So to be back with George, David, Nina, who's their oh yeah and it's just a, yeah just a uh superhuman yeah. you know um uh and back to get back into that place where it's like they've you know sometimes those guys i i love their authorial pride mm-hmm. in that they will not concede they just will not concede to pandering conventions that make it easier for people to like a show. Yeah. And I love their assimilitude. That's like my favorite thing is as a viewer is like you, you put out the language and if you don't get it, you better fucking figure it out or, you know, right. watch something else. They and, have so much confidence in their point of view. Yeah. And in that show, I really felt like, in a way it was a show about an engine and they took the engine apart one piece at a time. And they like looked at it and saw how it worked and they put it on the table. And then, you know, two thirds of the way through all these different parts of the engine were spread around. Yeah. And then they put it back together and you're like, Oh, that's how this thing runs. Ah, Ah. I love the way you put that. That's amazing. And then I'm curious now, you know, I, I, I don't want to, we definitely have to do this again because I could talk to you for hours, but I'm yeah. curious with, with Apple, Facebook, Yahoo, fucking Amazon, all doing content now, you know, I know you did for all mankind, which was awesome. What is interesting to you, both as a father and as an actor, are you more selective now? Do you, is it, is it, is it character? Is it content? Is it director? Is it actors or is it a blend of everything? Like what makes Chris Bauer tick now? And this all of all of those things are what I apply my life to twenty four seven. So my aesthetic nourishment, the things that compel me creatively, always trace back to relationships. Relationships that I have with writers, directors, other actors that I keep alive and that I participate in because they're like lifelines to me. Yeah. And if anything is really important now where I'm at work-wise and age-wise is like figuring out how to leave some empty space for new people that I don't know and haven't worked with. And like, I want to, I don't really know. I want to stay open to that voice, that new voice. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, how I get through my day is how I get through my work. So the same kind of pursuit of authenticity, the same kind of open-hearted courage, the same kind of cultivation of intellect and humanity that I look for in characters and material, I'm responsible for that in my own life. So that goes into how I parent, it goes into what kind of a spouse I am, it goes into what kind of a citizen I am. These are all, you know, aspirations, because at the end of the day, I mean, I get out of bed, I say good morning to whatever and whoever created me, I say thank you, 
and then I try to let the wind blow me in the direction that's most true. Yeah. And everything after that is just a lucky accident. Really. That's amazing, man. So beautifully put. And and final question, you know, for for the young Chris Bowers or the Ryan Perez's out there that are still trying to kind of find that path. Any advice to them? Any words of wisdom? Let's try. I know that's a very broad question and hard, but yeah, but but for those who can hear it, they'll hear it. Yeah. Be brave. Let go of pride. Trust your impulse to create and save room for the muses. Meaning leave some empty space, leave some empty space for the shit that's better than us. The shit that's more inspired, the shit that's magic. Like, like, like it's the old European cliche, you know, it's like, do you want the audience to go like this? Or do you want the audience to go like this? Oh, yeah. And that space that they lean into, they can't do it if it's all full with you. Yeah, jamming it down their throat, going at them. And it's like to leave that space, you got to have trust. That's where the courage is. The courage is that when you walk out into an empty space and people are watching you, you're fucking interesting and you're compelling. Yeah. And you're beautiful just because you're there. Yeah. You do not have to tell people why you need to be there. You do not have to announce and declare to people why you might be interesting or talented. It's all already there. And the courage isn't just leaving that and trusting it and let them find it. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Well, Chris Bauer, man, I'm speechless from that. And I got so much love for you. And let's do this again. And let's finally grab a lunch in in New York when this is over. And I hope one day we finally get a chance to work together, brother. Me too, man. That'd be awesome. Thanks for having me. Hey, Chris Bauer, I got so much love for you. Best wishes to you and your family during this craziness. And, And stay in touch, man. Will do. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.